1: I invite all who are able to please stand for our first reading from the Acts of the Apostles, chapter seven, verses one through three, and then we're gonna to skip to, 4, to 44 through 50. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Then the high priest asked him, are these things so? And Stephen replied, brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our ancestor, Abraham, when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran, and said to him leave your country and your relatives and go to the land that I will show you our ancestors had the tent of testimony testimony in the wilderness as God directed when he spoke to Moses ordering him to make it according to the pattern he had seen our ancestors in turn brought it with Joshua when he dispossessed the nations that God drove out before our ancestors And it was there until the time of David David, who found favor with God and asked that he might find a dwelling place for the house of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made with human hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? This is the word of the Lord.
0: Please stand as you're able for the second lesson. We continue in the seventh chapter of the book of Acts. And what is happening here is Stephen, in the previous chapter, has been accused of spreading falsehoods. And the Jews have brought him into their council and they are putting him on trial, much like they put Jesus on trial. For the things that they heard him saying about Moses and about the temple. The same is true for Stephen. And they ask him if the charges against him are true. And he launches into this sermon of sorts, which is the entire chapter of... the seventh chapter of Acts. And Stephen goes through, after calling them brothers and fathers, addressing him in that way, he goes through the history of Israel, God's people, he begins with Abraham and he says how Abraham was spoken to God in a different place. Of, not in Israel, but in Haran, the land of his father. God was active there and called Abraham to a promised land. They, he talks about Joseph and how they rejected Joseph. He talks about Moses and how they rejected Moses with the golden calf and were rebellious and resistant. And He talks, he talks about Solomon building the temple. He goes through the history. The prophets he mentions as well. And then he comes to this place where he says to those who are hearing, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you are forever opposing the Holy Spirit, resisting the Spirit of God just as your ancestors used to do. Which of the prophets did your ancestors not persecute? They killed those who foretold the coming of the righteous one, and now you have become the betrayers and murderers of him. You are the ones that received the law as ordained by angels, and yet you have not kept it. When they heard these things, they became enraged and ground their teeth at Stephen. But filled with the Holy Spirit, he gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. "'Look,' he said, "'I see the heavens opened "'and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God.' But they covered their ears, and with a loud shout all rushed together against Him. Then they dragged Him out of the city and began to stone Him. And the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning Stephen, he prayed, "'Lord Jesus, receive my spirit.' And then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he died. And Saul approved of their killing him. That day a severe persecution began against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout the countryside of Judea and Samaria. Devout men buried Stephen and made loud lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church by entering house after house, dragging off both men and women. He committed them to prison. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Several years ago, it was early on one of these... uh, cooler summer mornings when all of the foliage is covered with dew and the grass as well that I walked out into the backyard with the dogs and with one of my young daughters, young at the time, following me. We walked to the back of the property to look up Standing Boy Creek, dogs maybe trying to find a chipmunk or something to chase in the backyard. We lingered there and then I turned with my cup of coffee to walk back to the house. As I got close to the back of the house, I realized that I was alone. Not unusual for the dogs to linger, but I didn't know where my daughter was, so I turned around and saw her still in the backyard, making these long, exaggerated hops in the backyard. What are you doing? I asked her. I'm trying to follow your footsteps, Dad. the prints I had left in the dew-laden grass. Her words stopped me in my tracks. I'm trying to follow your footsteps, Dad. In the blink of an eye, the profundity of her words seared my mind and pierced my heart. How am I walking? Who am I following? How am I living? How am I modeling? Where am I going? And when I get there, will it be where I want to be or where God wants me to be? Who am I following? Who is following me? Am I being the father, the husband, the pastor, the Christian, the friend that I want to be, that Jesus would be pleased for me to be? Am I living like Jesus? All of this went through my mind in a matter of nanoseconds. And the truth is to live like someone, to follow after someone, you need to know that person. To spend time with them. To study them. To talk with them. To to learn to imitate them, if you will. And so the question begs to be asked, are we who call ourselves Christians following the Christ? It's what Jesus asked us to do. Love one another as I have loved you. Follow me, He said to all who would. To many whom He called. If you have two coats, give one away. If someone asks for you to walk one mile with them, go with them too. And if someone should strike you on one cheek, offer to them the other. Take up your cross daily and follow Me. Lay down your life for your friends. There is no greater love than this. And Paul and others took up the cry and taught these things. Paul, once known as Saul, who said, Whatever you have seen and heard and learned from me, do these things, and the peace of God will be with you. Be imitators of God in Christ, his letters say. More modern efforts have taken up this cry as well to be imitators of God, followers of Jesus. You remember Sheldon's book of several decades ago with that timeless title, In His Steps. And then it was in the 1990s that a youth group created those ubiquitous bracelets and bumper stickers Remember, they were all the rage. I can't remember the youth group, but a youth group came up with this idea of these four letters to prompt thinking, to shape decisions. You remember them, don't you? Say those four letters with me. W-W-J-D. What would Jesus drive, I mean do, Prompting to ask the question in every situation, both large and small, in the journey of life how would my Savior have me handle this? All of these people, all of these books, these bracelets are saying the same thing. The title of the sermon, Live Like Jesus. It's what the early church sought to do. Here this fledgling community that we're reading about, studying about, following in this series on the book of Acts, in their life together, in their fellowship, in their prayers, in their teachings, in their service to one another and service to people in need. They are seeking to live like Jesus. And others are noticing this and they are saying, about them. See how they love one another. The quality and characteristics of this community are attractive and impactful. And people are saying, I want that. Whatever it is they have, I want that. And people are being drawn to this growing community. And the world of that day was watching them. And I would venture to say that the world in which we live today is watching us. And what do they see? We witness as followers of Jesus Christ, as witnesses in the world today in big and small ways, It's the small ways that I want to touch on for just a moment. We can talk about martyrdom a little later. The idea of following after or asking ourselves if we could make a choice like Stephen to be willing to die for the One who was willing to die for us. Could I show that kind of faith? Could I die for what I believe in? Maybe that's not the first question. Maybe the first question is more, could I live for the faith that I believe in? And we do that in small ways. In little, random acts of selflessness. Little actions of kindness. One such act impacted me in such a way it is still so vivid in my memory. I want to share it with you. And I have to go all the way back to 1983. Fresh out of college, traveling in Europe with three of my buddies, we bought a Eurail pass and put backpacks on our backs and decided we were going to see that part of the world. And our travels took us to Amsterdam. In that city, we stayed in a hostel as we had stayed in hostels all across the continent or cheap, not fancy, but it's what you did when you were a college graduate on a budget, traveling in Europe. And the hostel that we stayed in in Amsterdam was run by a convent, by nuns. You slept in kind of large bunk bed style rooms with common bathrooms, but they provided a small, meager breakfast for you in the morning before you would go off on your way. And they mentioned to us as we checked in that they had a little office where you could go if you needed some help in any way. And so on that next morning when I woke up, I took, I went by that little office and I asked, do you by any chance have some spare needle and thread? My day pack had torn open the front pouch along the seam. It had just ripped apart by wear and tear and it had been rendered almost useless. I wanted to see if I could stitch it back together and make it work for the remainder of the trip. The nun that I spoke with said, yes, we have needle and thread, but I will not let you borrow it. Let me have your pack. And so reluctantly, I gave it to her. And after an hour or so, I came back and she handed me my pack that had been so lovingly and expertly sewn back together that I continued to use that pack for another year when I went to teach high school in Kenya, Africa. But every day on that trip and every day after that trip, when I looked at that pack, I looked at the stitching and the attention to her detail and the love that went into it. I asked her on that day when she handed me back my pack, why in the world would you do this? And she said, I do it because of what Jesus has done for me. It was the simplest little thing. Just yesterday, I finished a long run on a steamy Columbus morning. And when you are a runner, some days don't go as well as others. And yesterday was particularly difficult as my running buddy who's here today will attest. And sopping wet and tired to the bone, we were making our way back to our vehicles from uptown, and market days was going on, and we bumped into a member of our church, fresh as a daisy, carrying a brown paper sack. Hey, what are y'all doing? Y'all look like y'all been running. <laughs> yes, I have. We have. Would you like a peach? Oh, no. Well, we'd rather not take your fruit. But then my buddy said, you know what? I do want a peach. And I said, guess what? I'll take one, too. It was the best peach I have ever eaten. I don't know if I'll ever eat another peach again and not remember that one. A small, random act of kindness blessed both of our lives. In big ways and in small ways, we are called to live like Jesus. And in both instances, the impact can be huge and life changing. When we do this, when we live like Jesus in the big and the small ways, when we seek to follow a risen Savior, to learn from Him, to grow in a relationship with Him and be transformed by it, it has big impact. I believe this is what happened to Stephen. Stephen was not an apostle. He was not an original disciple. He joined this fledgling community. And I believe that he didn't really know what he was signing up for as he said yes. But as he said yes, he started serving tables. But he didn't sign up to be in charge, but he found himself in charge. He didn't sign up to teach, but he found himself teaching. He didn't sign up to be a healer, but he found his gifts for healing. And he was having a huge impact upon the community and upon all of Jerusalem. He didn't sign up for persecution, but he found himself being persecuted. He didn't sign up to die for his faith in Jesus. But that's what happened. It was a series of choices. It was a journey through life that led him to that place. I doubt that he woke up one morning and said, hey, I know, I'll be a martyr. A life lived like Jesus impacted many because of Stephen's life. And yes, because of his death, the church grew. In 197 A.D., one of the church fathers that we still read today and hearken to, Tertullian, said this, the blood of the martyrs waters the seeds of the church. And it was true then, And it is true today. We see in the martyrdom of Stephen the persecution of the church. But in this persecution, we see an evangelism explosion through suffering. The church is scattered. Now they are not safe any longer in Jerusalem. They are hunted and they must leave. And leave they do. And they take with them the Gospel of Jesus Christ from Jerusalem and from Jerusalem to Judea, and from Judea to Samaria, and as Jesus said, into all the world. These are Jesus' words coming true. Who would have thought that persecution would be the tool that God used to bless all people? But it harkens back to the words that Jesus used in one of His earliest teachings in the Gospel of Matthew. The Beatitudes so familiar to many of us in that Beatitude where Jesus said, blessed are you when people persecute you and revile you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on My account. Blessed are you when you are persecuted for righteousness for My sake for great is Your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets before You as they will persecute Me." And the question of the early church through, and the church through the ages, and the question for the church today, will I be faithful? Or will I be comfortable? Will I bow to Jesus as Lord Or will I bend to culture? Will I go the narrow way? Or will I just drift with the broad way? How will I live? And what is worth living for? The history of oppression and opposition in the Christian church and the Christian life should not surprise us that following Jesus will mean hardship and it will bring us to decisions, and we will have to make choices. It is said that the church that we live in today, you and I, the church in this time in history, is more like the 2nd century church than any other period in the life of the church. We are living it now. A church that has become marginalized and is beginning to experience greater persecution. Yes, these are challenging days. And maybe you're like me, as things become challenging and choices need to be made, you may say to yourself, you know when I said I was going to follow Jesus, I'm not sure that this is what I signed up for. I thought it would be an easier life. Get a nice church. Raise a nice family. Experience some real blessings. And try to have a grateful heart and impact a few lives along the way. I don't know if this is what I signed up for when I entered seminary, although my father was a pastor and I knew it wasn't all peaches and cream. But maybe in seminaries and maybe in churches we need to have warning labels upon this life of faith, this following of Jesus... I don't remember seeing the warning labels or or hearing about it when I enrolled at Columbia Theological Seminary for my, my Master's of Divinity degree. It may have been there, but I don't remember seeing it. But upon researching this piece of God's Word and the persecution of the early church, I found out that there is a seminary that carries such a warning. Or at least they put up such a plaque It's actually Nathan Sauter's alma mater, Princeton Theological Seminary. And upon entering the cafeteria at Princeton Seminary, one sees bronze plaques inscribed with names of Princeton graduates who, like Stephen, paid for their faith in blood. And the names read Walter, Marlon, Lowry, thrown overboard by pirates in the China Sea in 1847. John Rogers Peel, killed along with his wife by a mob in Lei Chow, China in 1905. And James Joseph Reed, fatally beaten at Selma, Alabama, March 11, 1965. Sometimes to live like Jesus means dying like Jesus. To know the Gospel of Jesus Christ To teach the gospel of Jesus Christ, to live the gospel of Jesus Christ, means to be opposed. It means that we are called to speak the truth in love and allow the God of love to rule our lives. Archbishop Oscar Romero was such a man who spoke the truth in love at the risk of his life, and he is one of those who has joined the company of those who have died for what they believed in in following Jesus Christ. He was actually gunned down while he served mass in the chapel of the cathedral in San Salvador, El Salvador, in 1980. It was Oscar Romero who's quoted as saying, a church that doesn't, that doesn't provoke any crisis, a gospel that doesn't unsettle, a word that doesn't get under anyone's skin, A Word of God that doesn't touch the real sin of society in which it is being proclaimed. What Gospel is that? What Gospel are we proclaiming? The Gospel that Stephen proclaimed when they heard his words that they were resisting the Holy Spirit and persecuting the prophets and had murdered the righteous one The scene in the temple turns into a mob lynching. And they take Stephen outside of the city and they stone him to death. But as Stephen dies, we read at the end of the chapter, he is given a vision. It is a vision of the crucified and, yes, the risen Christ, who is standing at the right hand of God the Father. In this vision, Stephen is reminded that there is nothing in life or in death that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. It was true for Stephen. It is true for us. This is our truth. This is our comfort. This is our strength. God with us in Christ Jesus empowering us and transforming us as individuals and a community. And this is done through the big things and through the smallest, most inconsequential things. The random acts of selflessness. And this is true. That the world indeed is watching us. Those who are coming after us are watching us. And what we do matters. And what we do, some will never forget. What Stephen did on that day was never forgotten by the man who stood and watched and held coats while others threw stones. His name was Saul who we now know as Paul. He didn't forget. But that's another story. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.